Amen. Well, please take your copy of Scripture and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And this morning, we're going to look at verses 26 and 27. Uh, I'll begin reading for us in verse 18, and then the focus of our attention this morning will be verses 26 and 27. If you're using one of the Bibles that we provide for you, you'll find our passage on page 944. Romans chapter 8, and I'll begin reading for us in verse 18. This is God's Word. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. But the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, and this morning we especially thank you for Romans chapter 8, a chapter, Lord, that has meant so much to so many Christians throughout church history, and a chapter that you have used to speak to us over and over again in the last several weeks and months. Lord, we pray now that you would come and give us further insight into your word and into the glorious promises that are contained here in these verses, and we pray, Lord, that we would know your love and care and strength and power as a result. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we ask it. Amen. Well, prayer is an expression of love. Prayer is an expression of love. I am uh, really blessed as I think back over my life The people who have loved me the most have prayed for me. I think about my grandfather. I don't know that I have ever felt the prayers of anyone more than I felt the prayers of my grandfather in my own life. I think about the prayers of my parents, my father and my mother who faithfully prayed for me over the years, Uh, the prayers of my sister, uh, my wife, uh, my children. If I'm struggling with my sermon on a Saturday or I've still got a lot to do on my, with my sermon on a Saturday, I will ask my children to pray for me. I trust that they do. Several of you here 
And our congregation at Crawford Avenue will remind me that you often or regularly pray for me, and that is so encouraging. Even non-Christians often feel loved and cared for when someone else prays for them. Perhaps you're not yet a Christian and you've experienced this before. There have been times when I've talked to a non-Christian about the Lord and about the gospel and uh, attempted to share Christ with them and they've been disinterested or even perhaps taken offense. And of course, just because they take offense doesn't necessarily mean that I shouldn't speak to them about the gospel and about the Lord. But I've also seen that love expressed through prayer can awaken an interest that previously was not there or minimize what might have otherwise been perceived as an offense. So, for example, if someone shares with me that they have a particular burden, and I respond by saying, well, I'll pray for you about that, and then I'm intentional to follow up with them and ask them how they are doing, how that particular burden is going. In other words, if I express love to them through prayer, I've often found that folks are more receptive, which then can lead to a greater opportunity to speak to them about the Lord and about the gospel. So, Prayer is an expression of love. And over the last several weeks in Romans chapter 8, we've been talking about the hope of creation. We've been talking about the hope of the children of God. And we've seen that because we live in a sinful world, Christian hope is characterized by both groaning and gladness. And in our passage this morning, Paul encourages us that when our hope is marked by groaning, the Spirit prays for us. The Spirit of God prays for us. And the Spirit's prayers are an expression of God's love and care for us. I've entitled our message this morning, The Hope of Redemption, The Spirit and Prayer. Already in Romans chapter 8, we've seen so much about the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So if we were to skim the chapter just kind of quickly, we saw in Romans chapter 8 verse 2 that the Spirit gives us life and He sets us free in Christ Jesus from sin and death. We saw in verse 4 that the Spirit enables us to live out the righteous requirements of God's law, not perfectly, but truly. In verse 6, we see that the Spirit affords us life and peace when we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. In verse 9, we see that the Spirit of God actually indwells us as Christians. In verse 11, we see that as the Spirit raised Jesus Christ from the dead, He will raise our frail bodies and redeem them. In verse 13, we saw that the Spirit enables us to put to death the deeds of the body. In verse 14, we saw that the Spirit leads us in obedience to God's Word. In verse 15, we see that the Spirit applies the reality of adoption to our lives. And as a result, we cry out, Abba, Father. In verse 16, we see that the Spirit testifies to our spirit and assures us that we are children of God. And in verse 23, we saw that the Spirit is the first fruits of our redemption. He is, in some ways, just a taste of of the fuller harvest that is to come when God restores all things and redeems our broken bodies. 
This is the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. But Paul is not done speaking to us about the person and the ministry of the Spirit in our lives. What we see in our text this morning is that when the challenges and the concerns of this world cause us to groan, the Spirit helps us. The Spirit intercedes for us. The Spirit Himself groans and He prays for us according to the will of God. Those are actually our four points this morning from the text. First, we'll consider the Spirit helps. Secondly, the Spirit intercedes. Third, the Spirit groans. And then fourth, the Spirit intercedes according to the will of God. So first of all, look there in verse 26, and we see the Spirit helps. Verse 26, we read, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, we need to consider what Paul is saying here in verse 26 in light of what he has already said. So if you go back to verse 25, you see there in verse 25, Paul says, But if we hope for what we do not see... And remember what Paul is referring to here. What is it that we do not see at this time? We don't yet see the restoration of all things, of creation. We don't yet see the resurrection of our own bodies. He says, but if we hope for what we do not see, namely the restoration of all things, we wait for it with patience. And then in verse 26 he says, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So what Paul is doing here in verse 26 is he's acknowledging that it can be hard for us to wait for what we do not yet see. And so Paul says, in this way, likewise, the Spirit helps us. The Spirit helps us by preserving and renewing our hope as we wait. That word translated there, help, is actually in the original language a long word in Greek. It's a short word in English, help, but it's a long word in Greek. Sun anti lambanomai. It means to come to the aid of, to be of assistance to, to help. And one of the reasons why it's a long word in Greek is because it's actually three words in Greek that are all pushed together to make one word. We do this in English, right? So... For example, football. You take the word foot, you take the word ball, you put it together, football, which is a particular ball or a sport, right? Or we take some and time and put them together sometimes. We make words like that. Well, here in Greek, this word is the combination of soon, which means with, anti, which means instead of or on behalf of, and lambano, which means to take or to receive. So you see the idea here. The Spirit takes or receives our weakness, our burden. He takes it and receives it with us. And He takes it and receives it on our behalf or instead of us. It reminds us of Peter's admonition in 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. And this is one of the ways that God cares for us is that the Spirit comes alongside of us in our weakness and He takes our weakness, He takes our burden with us and for us. There's actually only one other time this word is used in the New Testament. 
It's used when Jesus is at Martha's house. You may be familiar with this story. Jesus is there at the house and people are gathered there and the ministry is being done and Martha's trying to get a meal ready and take care of everybody. And on Luke cha- In Luke chapter 10, verse 40, we read, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. That's the same word. Now in this situation, we know that Martha's desires were misguided. She, in this situation, should have prioritized time with Jesus rather than a perfect house and a lavish meal. But what Martha is saying here is, I need some help. And have you ever experienced that before? Have you ever felt that? I mean, maybe you were in a similar situation that Martha was in here. You have folks coming over to the house. You're running around frantically trying to get everything in its place. You feel overwhelmed. Maybe you feel like it's too much. I can't do all of this. And you say, I need some help. And listen, my friends, as we patiently wait for the hope of redemption, I imagine there are times where we all feel this is hard. This is difficult. I'm weary. I'm tired. I need some help. And isn't it good news to know that when we need help to preserve and renew our Christian hope, the Spirit of God is not oblivious to our need. The Spirit of God is not indifferent to our groanings. The Spirit of God does not resent or dismiss our weakness. But rather the Spirit helps us in our need. He's sympathetic to us in our groanings. He is with us in our weakness and bears it on our behalf. The Spirit helps us. Secondly, we see here in our text, though, that the Spirit intercedes. The Spirit intercedes. Look there in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us. Now notice there in verse 26, Paul says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now what is our weakness? Well, Paul has already been talking about in verses 18 to 25 that as Christians we live in this tension between hardship and hope. Because we live in a fallen world, we experience hardship. But because we are in Christ, we have this great eternal hope. And so we experience this tension between the two. And one of the challenges of being a Christian is that as we live in this tension, we don't always know what to pray for. I mean, that's actually the way that Paul explicitly defines our weakness in the text. Do you see it there? In verse 26, he says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Well, Paul, what is our weakness? For or because we do not know what to pray as we ought. That's our weakness. And notice in this particular situation here, it's not that we don't know how to pray, it's just it's that we don't know what to pray. Have you ever experienced that in your life? If you haven't, you will. For all of us, there are those times in which we don't know what to pray. 
Maybe it's because the options before us are so overwhelming. Maybe it's because the hurt and the pain is so deep. Maybe it's because the loss is so overwhelming. And we don't know what to pray. Now we need to make a distinction here between God's revealed will and His hidden or secret will. So, we can always be confident to pray God's revealed will. God's revealed will is what He has told us explicitly in His Word. That's how we know His revealed will. So, for example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul writes, For this is the will of God. He's telling us clearly, explicitly, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So we can always pray that prayer with confidence. We don't ever have to wonder, Lord, I just, I'm not sure whether you want me to pursue sexual purity or not. We don't ever have to wonder that. God has told us in His Word that this is His will for our lives. So we can pray with confidence, God protect me, God keep me from sexual immorality. And in praying that prayer, we know that we are praying the will of God. At the same time, we have situations in our lives where oftentimes the will of God is not clear. It's not certain. This is the hidden will of God. And in these moments, we feel our weakness. Sometimes we feel, I don't know what to pray. In fact, the Apostle Paul had this experience. And he shared this experience with us. So in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 and 23, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Philippi. He's in prison. And in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Do you see how Paul is wrestling with this in Philippians chapter 1? He says, living in a fallen world, I know that it is the will of God for me to make disciples. And on the one hand, I would love to remain here. And I would love to continue to minister to the church in Philippi, to strengthen them, to encourage them. And with the church in Philippi, to continue to make disciples and minister to other churches as well. But at the same time, given my current circumstances that I'm in prison, I may be on trial, I could be executed for my faith, I also desire to depart and to be with the Lord. So what should I pray given my circumstances? Should I pray for deliverance from prison so that I might continue to make disciples? Or deliverance from this fallen world so that I might be with Christ? I don't know which the Lord would have for me. Or in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is enduring there what he refers to as a thorn in the flesh. It's some difficulty, it's some hardship, some trial. And Paul tells us that three times he prayed, Lord, would you remove this infirmity from me? 
Of course, we know that in the end, the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So God's will for Paul in that time was for him to endure this hardship and use this as an opportunity to depend more on the Lord's grace. But there was a season there in which Paul didn't know. Is it the Lord's will to heal me? The Lord delights to heal. The Lord delights to deliver His people. Or is it the Lord's will for me to endure this burden so that I might know more of His strength and grace in my life? Or we think about the Lord Jesus Himself in the Garden of Gethsemane just prior to His crucifixion. And in His humanity and in His weakness, He prayed, Father, if You are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Do you see what Paul is saying here in our text? Paul assumes that as Christians who have been given the Spirit, who have been given new hearts and new life in Christ, we want to pray as God would have us to pray. But we don't always know what to pray. And Paul says that's okay. Because you don't always have to know what to pray. When you don't know what to pray, the Spirit will intercede for you. Have you ever been so perplexed about a situation or so distraught in your circumstances or so overwhelmed by the options that you think, I don't know what to pray, and then you fear, well, if I don't know what to pray, then how can God hear my prayers and how can God answer my prayers? And Paul says, when you don't know what to pray, it's okay because the Spirit will intercede for you. You might say, I know that marriage is good and marriage is of the Lord. But I'm not married. I'm single. I know I can glorify God in marriage. But I also know that I can glorify God through my singleness. I don't know what should I pray. Should I pray for marriage? Should I pray for singleness? Paul says the Lord, the Spirit Himself, will intercede for you. You might say, my father or my mother is ill. They're in the hospital. And I know that the Lord delights to heal and restore His people. And at the same time, at this point in their lives, maybe it's the Lord's will for them to go and be with the Lord. I'm not sure what I should pray for. Should I pray for healing or should I pray for them to go and to be with the Lord? And Paul says, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. You might say, I love the Great Commission. And I know we are called to make disciples, but I'm not sure whether I should go to the mission field and commit my life to serving the Lord overseas or whether I should continue to serve the Lord here in the States. And Paul says the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. In all these cases, in a million more that we experience in this life, the Spirit helps us in our weakness when we don't know what to pray And He prays for us. And God wants us to experience the Spirit's prayers for us as an expression of His love and His care for us. So the Spirit helps. The Spirit intercedes. Third, notice this in our text. The Spirit groans. There in verse 26. 
Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, of course, over the last several weeks, we've seen this idea of groaning in our passage. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 22, we saw that creation groans. In verse 23, we saw that the children of God groan. And on both occasions, it was under the weight, the burden of the futility and the corruption of this fallen world, the curse of sin, that both creation and the children of God groan for the final redemption of all things. But now, isn't this amazing? In verse 26 we read that the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So now the Spirit groans. The word here translated groanings means, quote, an involuntary expression of great concern or stress to sigh or to groan. Actually, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is preaching a sermon there, and he refers back to the experience of the Hebrews under slavery in Egypt. And Stephen there, speaking of this experience, speaking of the sufferings of the people of God, uh, he says this, and it's actually the Lord speaking, but Stephen's recounting this. And the Lord says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning. It's the same word that Paul uses here in Romans 8. And I have come down to deliver them and now come, I will send you to Egypt. So the Hebrews groaned under the weight, under the bondage of Egyptian slavery and oppression. And as believers, we groan under the burden and the weight of the futility and the corruption of this fallen world. In fact, if you look a little bit further in Romans chapter 8 and verse 35, Paul uses a similar word to describe the sufferings of Christians. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, and that word distress comes from the same root word that Paul uses in verse 26 to describe groanings. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or groanings, or sighings? So this is the experience of Christians living in a broken world. We groan. But last week, you remember we saw that when we groan in this fallen world, the Lord Jesus identifies with us in our groanings, in our sighings. Remember the account from Mark chapter 7 where Jesus goes into this region and he's confronted with this man who is deaf and is, uh, has difficulty speaking? And when Jesus encounters this man, we read in Mark chapter 7 verse 34 that Jesus looked up into heaven and he sighed. It's the same word. He groaned. And then he went on to heal this man. And here we see in Romans chapter 8 verse 26 that not only does the Lord Jesus groan as he encounters the brokenness of this world, but we see here in Romans chapter 8 that the Holy Spirit also commiserates with us in our groanings, in our sighings, and in our distress. And understand this, that as the Spirit groans, it's not that the Spirit is unable to express or articulate our distress. 
It's not that he's unable to express or articulate our burdens to the Father. He is God. He is fully able to do so. And in fact, he will. We'll get to that in a few moments. But it seems what Paul is stressing here, what Paul is indicating, is that the Spirit takes those wordless groanings of our heart that we do not know exactly how to express And the Spirit not only knows those sorrows and knows those distresses and knows those desires, but He feels them and He groans with us. One commentator illustrates the commiserate groanings of the Spirit this way. He he says, you know, think about a time when you've had to carry some heavy load. Maybe you invite someone over to your house to help you move a piano. And they come over to help you move the piano. Now, in that moment, what is more appreciative? A lot of kind of excessive chattering or that they would get in there with you and groan? Can you imagine picking up heavy piano and the person that's there to help you, they just start talking away, you know. Have you ever moved a piano before? I've never moved a piano before. Actually, when I thought about it, back in uh, 1983, I moved this piano, and there were four or five guys, and they had to come, but then one guy couldn't show up, and he lived about an hour away, and we had to call him, and then we had to wait a long time, and you're trying to carry the piano, right? He just keeps going on, chatting and chatting and chatting. No, what's more appreciated in that moment is not excessive chattering, but he would lift up that piano and groan with you. And when someone really carries a burden with us, they groan. And that's what Paul is indicating here. Is that the Holy Spirit not only knows our distresses, but He groans with us in our weaknesses and in our burdens. I love the way John Piper puts this. He states, quote, Be encouraged that in your perplexity and groaning, you are not just being watched. You are being understood. You see, the Lord is not distant. God is not aloof. He's not watching the futility and the corruption and the sorrows of this world from a distant place, detached and unconcerned. Rather, He has entered into the fallenness of this world and the person of His Son, and He has entered into our hearts in the person of His Spirit, and He groans with us in our distress. The Spirit helps us. The Spirit intercedes for us. The Spirit groans. And then fourth and finally, the Spirit intercedes according to the will of God. Look there in verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now in verse 27, that first phrase there where Paul says, He who searches hearts, that's best understood there to be God the Father. So it is God the Father who searches hearts. Listen to David's words to Solomon in 1 Chronicles 28 verse 9. David says to Solomon, And you, Solomon, 
you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. So God the Father searches hearts. And in particular, he searches the hearts of his own people. It's one of the ways that the Father cares for us. Listen to the way that David articulates this in Psalm 38, verse 9. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing, which is the same word that Paul uses in Romans chapter 8 for groaning. My sighing, my groaning is not hidden from you. So when we, in a fallen world, groan, when we sigh, God the Father searches our hearts and He knows our distress. And then notice what Paul goes on to say. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. So He knows our hearts and He knows the mind of the Spirit And how does God the Father know the mind of the Spirit? Notice what he says. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Okay, so let's let's put this together, all right? So back in verse 26, stay with me here, okay? So we want to put verses 26 and 27 together here. Back in verse 26, we see the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And then in verse 27, he intercedes. That's actually the same word he uses in verse 26. He intercedes in verse 26 with words, uh, with groanings too deep for words. Then in verse 27, he intercedes, same word, according to the will of God. So, the Father knows our hearts because He searches our hearts, and He knows the mind of the Spirit Because the Spirit takes the groanings of our heart and expresses them to the Father in words that align with God's purpose and His will for our lives. So do you follow that? So we have these groanings in our heart and the Father searches our hearts And he knows those groanings because he searches our hearts. He also knows those groanings because he knows the mind of the Spirit. And the Spirit is taking those groanings and expressing them to the Father and articulating them to the Father in a manner that is consistent with God's will and purpose for our lives. And we know that the Father answers those prayers because they come from the Spirit and because the Spirit's prayers are in accordance with the Father's will and purpose. Now this is interesting. In the very next verse, which we will be considering, I believe next week, in the very next verse, Paul says, look there in verse 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Now, after just after what we've learned in verse 26 and 27, our response to verse 28 should be, well, of course it does. 
Of course all things work together for our good, right? Because the Spirit's praying for us. Because the Spirit's taking the most difficult things in our lives that are hard, that we don't even know how to express, that we're groaning about. He's taking it to the Father in prayer and articulating it in such a way that it aligns with God's purpose for our lives. So of course all things will work together for our good. How could it be otherwise? The Father hears the prayers of the Spirit for His children. So the Spirit helps us. The Spirit intercedes for us. The Spirit groans. The Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God. I'm sure that some of you are groaning this morning. Maybe you walk through the doors this morning groaning. And you're not sure what to do. And you're not sure what's to come. Listen to the words of the gospel this morning. If you are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit groans with you and He prays and intercedes on your behalf. So you can know by the grace of God, you can know that God's purpose and will will be fulfilled in your life and that all things will work together for your good. Prayer is an expression of love. I stated that earlier when we began this morning. And we see here in Romans 8 that it is through the ministry of prayer that God loves us. Now catch this. He loves us with His whole being. He loves us with His full self. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In verse 27, we see that the Father searches our hearts and He knows them. In other words, He's not distant. He's not aloof. He's near. So that's God the Father. And then God the Son, which we'll see in weeks to come. God the Son also intercedes for us. If you look at verse 34, Paul writes, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And my friends, understand, this is the only way we can know God. This is the only way we can pray to God. For all those who trust in the Lord Jesus, Christ is at the right hand of His Father, presenting to the Father His perfect atoning sacrifice for our sins, which guarantees our forgiveness and ensures our access to God. And now we learn in verses 26 and 27 that the Spirit also intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words according to the will of God. And the Father always hears the prayers of the Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Through the ministry of prayer, God is loving us with His full being, with His whole self. And so we are to rest in that love. Trust and rest in that love. And know that by the grace of God, He is working all things for our good. Let's go to Him in prayer now. Father, we thank You for Your great love for us. And Lord, even in a passage like this, we are reminded of how little we know and appreciate how much You love and care for us.
But Father, we pray that you would take your word now and that you would hide it deep within our hearts. We pray, Father, that even as we experience the trials and difficulties and hardships of this life, Lord, we pray that we would not be reluctant to come before you in prayer. We pray that even when we don't know what to pray, that that would not cause us to remain distant from you or to remain silent. But Lord, that we would come to you all the more in those times with confidence knowing that you feel our own groanings and distress and that we can come to you even if not with words, we can come to you with groanings. And that you hear and that you care and that you take even those groanings and make them acceptable prayers in your presence. Father, we pray that this great promise, this great assurance would strengthen our faith, that it would renew our hope, and Lord, that it would alive, bring alive again our joy in you and in the gospel. So Lord, take your word now and apply it to our hearts, we ask. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray.